howdy-doody little buckaroo. To you, like animals, we sure do. So come on down to the weekly meeting of the Animal Fan Club. Cuckoo, cuckoo. The cuckoo clock is proclaiming that it's creature o'clock. So ring that buzzer. It sounds like a lion roar. Roar. And open the door to join us for the 23rd meeting of the Animal Fan Club. I'm currently in the liminal state between Stinky Caterpillar and Majestic Butterfly, Mike. And I'm accredited zoo advocate, Meredith. We meet every week at our clubhouse we like to call the Dalmatian Station. Bark, bark! To talk about our favorite animals. What we lack in expertise, we make up for in unbridled enthusiasm and childlike wonder. Wow! So saddle up that miniature horse and hold on tight for the furriest, fin-filled, and feathered podcast in all of the kingdom, Animalia. Great work, Meredith, on the introduction today. I just Thank you. To you know when they talk about, like, if you're feeling down or feeling blue, you take a power position, make yourself feel better by just the position you take? Yeah. I'm taking, like, a power position via my vocal performance oh, and delivery. That's nice. I'm willing myself into happiness. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a really great idea. Yeah. I always say that you have to wake up every morning and just kind of look at yourself in the mirror and just be like, I'm awesome. Today's a good day. Yeah. Some days are easier than others. That's for sure. Oh, totally. And, you know, you can't feel bad about not getting stuff done. You just have to, like, really aggressively love yourself. That's true. That's hard, but I think that's a really good reminder. Well, we've made it to our Tiger King special. We have. So now, Meredith, just to update our listeners, you've seen the entire season now. Is that correct? I have. Yes. Okay. So we've both consumed the entire show. I'd imagine that, like me, you have mixed feelings about it as an animal lover and animal advocate. Yes. Maybe both of us agree with Saf. Right. Who's a trans man, by the way, misgendered throughout the entire series, Mm -hmm. that no animal is winning in this entire experience, that maybe there's some truth in that. Yeah, and I read, it was a short but good and direct National Geographic article about it. Oh, and also a Washington Post article. Essentially saying that, like, behind all these eccentric characters that make for very good TV and all of the salaciousness and all of the, like, true crime buzz and all of these things, it so overshadows the much larger, really insidious, disgusting story underneath all of this, which is the exotic wildlife trade and trafficking in this country that in no way, despite what any of these idiots say about like, it's part of conservation or it's like an effort for conservation. We're doing what's right for these tigers. None of these tigers are going to see the wild. None of them are genetically prepared to be released into the wild. You know, they have no patterning, no instinctual anything because that was never modeled to them because all of these tigers grew up in captivity. It's just not, it's not conservation. And to call it that or to even imply that in any way is just absolutely criminal. So I just want to take a stand that we're not glorifying this in any way, if anything, using it as a way to talk about the actual cats and to talk about why it's so important to talk about the cats and love them for the beautiful creatures that they are instead of focusing on kind of the more sensational aspects of this story that ultimately push the kitties, these beautiful creatures 
creatures into the background. Yeah, I think that's right on. The song that plays at the very end of the show, I Saw a Tiger, Yeah. in terms of its structure, the first verse is really pretty Mm -hmm. right on. You know, it talks about telling all the hunters to put down their guns and let the tiger roam free Mm -hmm. and run the land. Then the second verse gets a little weird because it's all about keeping the tigers in captivity. And then the third verse goes back to this idea of the tigers dying and this sort of Armageddon, this tiger Armageddon. It actually calls it the Holocaust. I don't know, Meredith, do you want to maybe like do our version of this song for our our good listeners right now? Yeah. Maybe we'll change the word Holocaust. Maybe we'll change that line, but maybe we can just give them a quick little rendition of the song. Sounds good. Tell all the hunters to lay down their guns. Tell them that the tiger needs a little bit of love. Let them run the jungle. Let them roam their lands. Then stand back and marvel. What a beautiful cat. Cause I saw a tiger. Understand. I saw a tiger, and the tiger saw a man. I can give him a home, safe and warm, but the law wants to ban me. Can you tell me who's wrong? Every time they move, every time they breathe. I can feel their power I can feel their heat Cause I saw a tiger Now I understand I saw a tiger And the tiger saw a man is a ticket it'll soon be gone so you better take a picture such a sad sad song call it Armageddon such a painful loss when they kill all the tigers such a terrible cause cause I saw a tiger Now I understand I saw a tiger And the dinosaur man I saw a tiger And the tiger saw a man
You know, Meredith, I just got to say that's like kind of a bang. Yeah, it, right? Like that's it kind has of a fun been in song, my head isn't it? For a while I've been singing it quite a bit around the house. Ugh, much to my own chagrin. But also too, I'm just going to call it out that is definitely not him singing. Can we just be real about it? It's all smoke and mirrors. Fucking idiot. Oh, it's certainly not the voice that comes out of that body. (laughs) No. There's articles now about that where the real songwriters have been identified. Again, looking at the text, analyzing Uh the text for this, these verses have a punchline in the last word of every verse. You know, then stand back and marvel, what a beautiful Uh cat. That's a punchline. And then it goes into the chorus. And then the next verse, I can feel their power, I can feel their heat. That's a punchline. Then it goes into the next verse. When they kill all the tigers in the Holocaust, that's a punchline. And Mm -hmm. the joke's not funny, but I'm not surprised that it's not funny, but it's structured to be a punchline. Which if you think about, you know, traditional um, country music songwriting, that is totally what they do. The hook of the song, often the title of the song, is exactly like a punchline. Right. Tequila makes her clothes come off is always going to be the thing that happens at the end of the verse. Yeah. Or, you know, all my exes live in Texas. Like all of these things are punchlines. Yeah, exactly. I will say that for that track, that was all instruments. I just have to brag. Do it. But for that track, the instruments were all played by me with the exception of the violin. That was Sean Haggerty, friend of the pod. And that was all recorded in my apartment in this quarantine time. I glad I have I my cajon here. I wish I could have played drum set on it, but there's no way I was going into my yeah. studio to do that. Yeah, exactly. Hey, you make it work. I love that. I love that you have the ability and the uh, resources to do it. I think it's super cool. And why not? Yeah. And, you know, it's always a bit of a struggle learning these different instruments, you know, being a musician and having this like perfection complex, you know, and just kind of having to be like, well, whatever, I'm not really that Mm -hmm. good at the guitar or the bass, but here I am playing something on it, you know. And if you just put some reverb on it at the end, then it all kind of mushes together a little bit. Yeah, it's like the sustain pedal when you're playing piano. It erases so many, so many unforgivable sins. It's the Jesus of the musical instrument world, reverb and sustain pedals. All sins are forgiven. That's very true it is a funny thing seeing young pianists who are overusing the sustain pedal and then like the older people you know that that kind of happens a lot in my business actually where like somebody will walk over to the piano and be like you need to take your foot (laughs) off of the sustain pedal absolutely and I'm just over there like hey guys it's such an easy easy trap to fall into I'm totally guilty yeah and Meredith I'll say one thing real quick before we go into it because I just have to tell you about this I'm very Uh excited to share I went on a walk the other day Nice. A socially distanced walk. It was really nice. And I met some fun animals. I maintained six feet of distance from all of them. There was the basement cat who was hanging outside of the basement eating food off of a cool paper plate. That was pretty fun. Hey, basement basement cat. cat. Then there was Tire Shop Dog, who was, like, (laughs) protecting the tire shop. And he was kind of this, like, old lab pit mix with that gray. He kind of looked like a chubby Tyson, you know, with that, like, little gray distinguished vibe. And he was just barking to bark. I don't know what his problem was. (laughs) Then there was Fiona the Hippo Concrete Edition in a playground. They had a little concrete version of Fiona the Hippo, which I'm going to post on Instagram. And it was specifically Fiona? I don't think so. I think it was just a Oh, well, all baby hippos are... Fiona's though. Right. Because I saw like baby elephants in a different uh-huh. playground area. And then there was a happy, friendly, long-haired dachshund tied up oh, outside of a store. Oh, baby cakes. Oh, I'm so jealous. I'm a little too um scared to get out for even walks or anything right now. Sure. Prudent. Yeah. But when I was still a couple weeks ago, 
The dogs were great. I just love that they're innocence in this time and that, you know, they're so oblivious to everything that's going on. I think it's very sweet. Yeah. Like little angels in our lives right now. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, you know, should we just get on to this exploration? Yeah, let's do it. You're going first, right? Yeah, I'm going first. Ready? Okay. Texana you. Texana we. Texana who. Texana me. Kingdom. In Amelia. Necessary for this podcast. Phylum. Cordata. Sexy slinky spines. Class. Amelia. They sure are furry. Order. Carnivora. Undulus for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Family. Fila day. Big cats, little cats, purr, purr, purr. Genus. Panthera. It sounds like a lion's roar. Species. Panthera Leo. It's the lion. <laughs> wow. Wow. So we're doing one of the most recognizable species in the whole wide world for generations, centuries, hundreds and thousands of years. It's the lion. Yay. I love the lion. Lions are so freaking cool. And I will start this off with like a little anecdote. So a friend of mine, a very good friend of mine from growing up used to work at the Cincinnati Zoo. I think she worked in like the cheetah exhibit exclusively. Like that was the main thing. So you could see her like feeding the cheetahs sometimes if you'd be at the zoo. It was like a summer thing she did. One time she took us actually kind of on like a behind the scenes tour of the big cats at the zoo. So we got to see tigers up close and they took us into this separate room not for public viewing with like a male lion and he was like up on the cage like right in front of us roaring and it was like the most insane sound experience ever because it's not that it's just loud like we've all heard loud noises but there's something about the like guttural some it like shook my chest yeah it was like nothing i'd ever experienced before as far as like a sonic experience was this lion roaring like right in my face Hmm. so crazy one of my friends makes the point that no matter how sophisticated we get in our speaker technology it's still a paper cone that's recreating the sound yeah totally so when what's creating the sound is this enormous biological thing it Mm -hmm. just will have a different quality that will actually shake your chest you know completely different effect on the body yeah i've just never heard anything like that or experienced anything like that that was one of the coolest things ever seeing a lion that close and like being moved literally by its sound so anyway so to remember when we talked about our walrus friends the keystone species our pinnipedia friends pinnipedia put your fins in the air wave them like you just don't care we've got our fins up our fin feet our fin feet they're our fin-footed friends correct Lions are another example of a keystone species. And they're also an apex predator. So they're at the very, very tippy top of the food chain. If they were to be removed from the food chain, it would just have a ripple effect throughout the rest of the ecosystem in the savannas and grasslands where they live in Africa. Yeah. And then there's also a small, tiny population of Asian lions as well. Um, I believe they're, I want to say like east or no, west of India a little bit. I am not very specific on that. It is important to remember these are not everyone talks about the king of the jungle with lions yes they don't live in the jungle they don't so like that whole in the jungle the mighty jungle the lion sleeps tonight no he doesn't that's a lie no we don't what yeah lions don't like the jungle there are jungles in africa obviously like 
particularly in like the Congo River Basin, but generally lions are not hanging out there. Huh. Yeah. So that's all a weird misnomer that has followed the lion through generations and generations. That's too bad. Yeah. But what I found really actually very interesting about lions is they've been present since the Pleistocene era. And we know there was some early contact with humans. This is what is so cool. You know the paintings in Lascaux, the Lascaux cave paintings? That's a mouthful. Yes. In southern France. (laughs) Yes. And then also, what was the other name of the cave? Oh, the Chauvet Caves in France. So I don't know if you ever saw the um, Werner Herzog documentary, Cave of Forgotten Dreams. I haven't. Oh my gosh. It's so incredible because they take you through and you look at these cave paintings that, you know, we always think of like early humans as being, you know, primitive and less developed, but the artwork in these caves is so sophisticated and so detailed and just so beautiful. And the way they overlap and kind of like morph into one another, it's highly, highly sophisticated artistic renderings of lions. So we know that in the Pleistocene era, that lions were actually distributed through Eurasia. So they were in Europe and even in North America as well. Wow. Yeah. But now obviously they're, you know, mostly associated with Africa. And even in Africa, they used to really dominate the majority of the continent, except for a few areas like right in the Saharan region. You know, now they're just kind of speckled, you know, kind of sub-Saharan and down the eastern coast and down towards the southern tip of Africa. And the Pleistocene was post-Pangaea. So it's not like Mm -hmm. these animals were all just walking around easy to travel. They were like really that far distributed. Yeah, they were. And I mean, there's more information about like these species that have since become extinct. I guess the fossils of which have been found in these different regions, but I didn't go that in depth. You didn't go down that swamp rabbit? I sure didn't. (laughs) There's a lot of info out there about lions, believe it or not. I do believe it. So I had to be very choosy I'd be choosy little lion about all the information that I wanted to bring up today. Obviously, they are embedded into our culture. There's just depictions of them around the world for generations and generations. You think of the lions with kind of the curly manes that you see in a lot of traditional Chinese artwork. You see depictions of them associated with the sun god Ra in Egyptian cultural artifacts. Sure. Lions are really big in Mesopotamia, associated with kingship, always been kind of associated with royalty because you've got like Richard the Lionhearted and like they appear on crests and they're often used on like for soccer teams and things like that. So lions are a very um, highly visible, highly used, prominent figure across cultures across the globe. It's kind of, it's very interesting. You might even say that they're a charismatic megafauna. Whoa, what's that? That's a term that I encountered in my research. And that's an animal that gets public attention, like an elephant or a tiger or a lion or some sort of animal that, a panda, maybe. Okay. Some sort of large animal that elicits a response in humans of like, oh, we love that creature. Yeah. And is frequently used as sort of a benchmark for success in conservation efforts or as sort of a way to get people on board with the cause or in coats of arms and things like that. Amazing. Yeah. So like bears probably would be another one. Sure. Maybe walruses even. Yeah. Yeah. These like very characteristic charismatic megafauna. Manatees. Manatees for sure. Sharks. Mm -hmm. I just want a shirt that says charismatic megafauna and like no explanation. I think that would be great for you. Thank you. Okay. 
So let's just talk a little bit more about lions. You know, we talk about sexual dimorphism all the time, but I think they're one of the most like easily recognizable, most familiar forms of sexual dimorphism, being that the men are so characterized by that big mane, which is so cool. Lion manes are badass, don't you think? Lion manes are badass, yeah. Well, it turns out they're like actually very important. I didn't know any of this. This is crazy. So the length and the color, so like the luminosity of the mane as well well as its darkness is going to be related to essentially their sexual prowess. Oh. So like healthier, more virile lions, it's actually indicated in their mane, the quality and the color of their mane. Wow. So it can be associated with longer reproductive lives. Whoa. So getting it on for longer, healthier offspring, and those manes are more favored by females. So just like all around makes them a much, or indicates a better mate, which which is super interesting. And apparently main growth is directly linked to testosterone, which they've been able to notice quite obviously. So when lion cubs are castrated, they don't grow the mane. Whoa. Castrated lions don't grow manes. Castrati, if you will. Castrati lions. Yeah, castrati lions. For those who don't know the, well, I don't know, Meredith, do you want to take castrato as the musicologist? What is a castrato? So yeah, for those of you who didn't go through a music history core <laughs> curriculum talking about like early opera and stuff. Castrato were or castrati were essentially boys that were castrated at youth to preserve a high and pure, beautiful singing voice. And it would often lead to very weird, stunted growth as adults. Yeah. Interesting effects on like the growth of the neck in men so they, you see pictures of castrati it almost looks like they don't have a neck it's just a very interesting really awful practice yeah that's fortunately grown out of favor yes one of my favorite stories we had an exam where a student um wrote english was not her first language so this was like amazing the question was like what is a castrato and she wrote it's a boy who loses his peanuts you're like not entirely wrong no i was like i actually love this like beautiful like poetic phrasing of this like really barbaric practice right it's a man who loses his peanuts well it's interesting that their neck would have some sort of physical oh my god yeah circumstance because that's where the mane is it frames the face so you could say in that way castrated tigers are like castrati opera singers of the 1800s insofar as one of the areas where there's a physical effect because of the castration is in their neck region yeah But I will correct you just because I can't let this go. I think the last of the castrati, I think, went out. I don't know if it was like it would have been 19th century. So like the 1800s. I think that's where it was like really like waning. Sure. At that point. I want to say the last castrato was like maybe like early 20th century. But I don't know. Much more prominent in like, you know, 17th century, probably. It's a perfect movie, The Last Castrato. It sounds like a De Niro film. I think there is a movie called The Last Castrato. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. We should probably get back to lions. Because <laughs> <laughs> that phrase sounds so familiar that I actually think there is some sort of artistic production surrounding that. I don't know. Whatever. I would expect. Oh, yeah. And this so kind of 
going the opposite direction. Female lions that have an excess production of testosterone will have manes. Not like full manes, but probably like, you know, little little inklings of a mane. Like a demi-mane? Demi-mane. Yeah, so similar to, um, you know, women that have excess testosterone in their system, sometimes it'll result in, you know, facial hair as well. So sure. we're not that different from lions. You're not lying. You're telling the truth. <laughs> I knew one of these jokes had to get in here. Well, I was just going to say, so I made up this joke. I was very proud of myself when I was little. I was like, what's a lion's favorite hobby? And I was like, lying around. (laughs) But it's actually kind of true. So lions are inactive for 20 hours a day. Whoa. They hang hard. They hang hard. And those other four hours are essentially spent kind of like prowling, hunting, and eating. Nice. So it's just hard chilling, a little bit of eating, and back to hard chilling. Yeah, that's kind of what we're doing right now. <laughs> I know. I, you know, this is another good thing. Oh, I have talked about this in the past, how I, you know, in hard times or in moments of strife or trial, I like to channel certain animals. So maybe we need to really focus on kind of summoning some lion energy these days. Oh, I like that a lot. Yeah. Me wow. Me wow. Let's summon our lion energy. Maybe that can be a good way to kind of carry us through such an awful time. I agree. So actually, unlike us right now, typical lion prides are about 15 cats large. Wow. And they're going to be dominated mostly by the females. Um, So mostly female, and there's generally about five males in the pride. I actually thought it would be like one male and then a harem of female, and that was it. I'm surprised to hear that there's multiple males in a pride. Well, I think sometimes there are prides where there will just be one male. It seems to be a very complicated and individually determined structure in terms of who is forced out of a pride. Both men and women, lions can be forced out of the pride and then they kind of become nomads for a while and then they'll join up with another pride. It seems like it's a very tight and social, socially um, glued together network, these prides, but it also seems like it's kind of a rotating door as to like who is coming in and who is coming out and the reasons why are across the board. Mm. So men are generally kind of forced out after a certain point, but women may be as well. Say, for instance, when a new lion comes to join the pride and they're trying to assert dominance, they might kind of eject any young females from the group or they'll actually kill all of the offspring of a particular female because what that does is once the female cats are separated from their cubs it puts them back into a more fertile (laughs) headspace body space sure because once they're away from their young they're like you know it's not going to be long after until they're able to produce offspring again but as long as the young are there it's not going to be as um it's not going to be happening as much oh that's interesting yeah they save all their focus for one little baby and then when the baby leaves they get lonely and have another baby yeah essentially or one to four is generally a litter size a litter sure a yeah litter of babies but i did read a really interesting statistic i don't know if this was in like one particular wildlife reserve or if this is in general but it said that 80 percent of cubs don't make it to adulthood you know i believe that though that that's true in the wild i think that as humans and especially in our current state of medical sophistication Mm -hmm. this is a generalization but most of the children that are born live to adulthood right yeah and in the wild with wild animals we find that that's not as true and even in human history before oh yeah there were such widely available high medical standards Mm -hmm. that wasn't true and if you look at parts of the world that don't have the same level 
level of access to health care that we have in the United States, that's still true. Right, exactly. It's very interesting. And I think in the structure of these pride, the most dominant members of the pride and also the ones that catch the food are always going to be the ones to eat first. So essentially, no matter what's going on, the cubs are always the last to eat. So there's not like a real like, you know, I sacrifice for my young. It's kind of, you know, all men for himself, no matter what your age is. Also, I wrote down lions are dicks about food. It turns out they love stealing food from cheetahs. They love stealing food from leopards. They love to steal food from wild dogs. So they're kind of dicks like they, you know, they are known as being these very, um, prolific hunters, but they also steal a lot of food, which just doesn't seem fair. I feel like I've seen a lot of wildlife documentaries where there will be like hyenas chowing down and then the lion will show up and chase them all off. Yeah. Or, you know, it can go in reverse. Like the lions will be chowing down. I do think there is a lot more competition between hyenas and lions as well. Uh Because I think a lot of times lions will be chowing down and then hyenas will attack and then vice versa. It's interesting, the the African plains. (laughs) Because they're so kind of rife with these, you know, very, very, very skilled hunters all vying for the same undulates. Undulate squat is delicious. I mean, we know that. Ask any cat. They know. Ask any human. We eat cows, you know. It's true. Yeah. Mm, Delicious undulates. Pigs and deers and things. Yeah. So in this case, it'd be like wildebeest, antelopes, um, water buffalo, zebras, (laughs) as you say. Some, like cheetahs, for instance, have adapted where they just kind of occupy different spaces of the plains, just kind of try to stay away from lions. They just occupy different parts of the ecosystem of the habitat. Right. And oftentimes leopards will pull their prey up into trees. So some female lions can get up there as well. So everyone's doing their best. Right. Okay. So getting back to kind of more human interaction with lions, lions are kind of dangerous to humans. A lot of this is just going to be, you know, the classic encroachment on natural habitats and territories. Death by lion does happen. It happens in numbers up in the thousands in some areas of Africa. So it is a real threat. Wow. Again, they are apex predators, so they can probably do a lot of damage to a human if they really wanted to, though it's not like common practice. Sure. It does happen. In general, so lions have been kind of with us since, you know, I think stories about like the ancient Romans keeping lions, you know, all the stories from the Bible about people being thrown to the lions, Daniel in the lion pit, I think. Daniel? I don't know. Something like that. David fought Goliath, but I don't remember who fought the lion. And it was Jonah and the whale. Jonah and the whale. And then like the tribe of Judah is associated with the lion as a symbol. It's charismatic megafauna. Say no more. Say no more. So lions have actually been kept in zoos since like as early as the 13th century. And, you know, they've been kept in these things called seraglios, which is also another word for like a harem. So it's just interesting that like women and creatures being considered these kept things, kept in, I guess, establishments by the same name. Yeah. Seraglios. Interesting. And then lion taming, obviously... We've probably all seen some version of this, if not live at the circus or whatever, then we've seen this imagery of like the lion tamer, you know, putting his head in the lion's mouth as like the ultimate feat of taming the wild beast and gaining trust with these creatures and everything. And ugh, 
I don't love it. Yeah, me neither. Don't love it. And so, I mean, to kind of bring this back to the Tiger King, you know, word on everybody's lips right now is that lions along with tigers are often featured in these like roadside zoos. There's just no way that they're receiving the care necessary in these places, most likely. You know, I don't want to speak for everybody, but so a good way to know if you're going to a respectable facility is to look for an accreditation from the Association of Zoos and Aquariums. So like all major zoos, animal sanctuaries, things that are going above and beyond what is necessary for the care and the preservation of these species will have this accreditation. And I think it would be hard to find, you know, any of these, you know, roadside parks or any of the things featured. I can't speak for Carol Baskin's sanctuary. I'm not sure if that's accredited or not or how that falls within all of this. Sure. But um, like the thing in freaking Myrtle Beach and the GW Wildlife Park or whatever that Joe Exotic was associated with, they're not accredited. Right. There's no way they could get an accreditation with those practices and the amount of tigers they're keeping together and the mating. It's just, yeah. I think that there's really valid ethical, philosophical discussions that one can have regarding zoos and how they are essentially animal prisons. Sure. I think that those are really valid conversations, and frequently I'm interested in having them, frankly. Yeah. But I will say that watching the Cincinnati Zoo's live stream, that there Mm -hmm. was one line that really stuck out in my head when they were demonstrating, I believe it actually was with lions, Mm -hmm. and the female lion was engaged in the activity, but the male lion was not, and they were saying, we gave the animals the choice whether or not they want to do this play and in enrichment activity yeah and if they choose to do it then they do it and if they choose not to do it then they don't do it and that we give our animals opportunities to make decisions about how their day is going to be yes and that that's a crucial part of their approach to mm-hmm. caring for these animals and so there's clearly levels of within this it's it's like everything else it's not black and white it, right. there's these levels of enrichment activities and care and mm-hmm. quality so i'm i'm a bit relieved to hear that there's a sort of accreditation process for zoos and aquariums. Absolutely. I'm glad that such a thing exists. Right. One of the things that really struck me in the Tiger King documentary was when they just talked about the sheer quantity of meat that each creature requires every day and their sourcing of it. Yeah. It just costs so much money to feed a creature like that, to board a creature like that, you know, so it's wild times, I guess. You ain't lying. I ain't lying. So that is my lion book report for today. Thank you. Of course, there's so much more that could be said. There's just like all kinds of things I didn't get into. Obviously, there's a wealth of information about lions out there. So by all means, let this be an invitation to further inquiry to you all. Yeah. I love opening lines of inquiry. Me too. I literally just wrote that in a paragraph the other day. That's something that I've really come to appreciate because you were talking about the foundations of music history. Uh huh. When we were learning that, I remember sitting there and being like, why do I need to know these three random pieces from this period? Uh huh. The thing is, is that they provide this kind of anchor of being like, well, here's three examples. Mm-hmm. And of course, this isn't the only thing that matters, but this is what we're trying to talk about now in this class. And then right. you can go learn everything else on your own or, you know, dive deeper. And I hope that through this podcast, we've taken people down that road with charismatic megafauna like the lion, (laughs) but also with the echinoderms and maybe some nematodes, you know? Yeah, exactly. Or papillidae or papillidae. I don't know, Meredith. That was your animal. How quickly I forget. Do you remember when I forgot sloths? It literally done them the week before. I was like, I don't know. I don't remember what animal I did. Pelosa. Pelosa, yeah. 
All right, well, let's take a break. Yes, we definitely should. Bye. Bye. Oh, Tilda, I wish I could see my grand beavers on a more regular basis. It has been difficult not leaving the lodge, Scarlet, but we have to stay in quarantine. If only there was a way we could visit without leaving our lodges. You've clearly never heard of Brand Clubby's Flume, Lodge to Lodge video chatting app for beavers. It's amazing, Scarlet. How do you think I stay in touch with my cousin? Well, I never really thought about that, Tilda. How does it work? You simply download the app on your smart device. The D stands for damn. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I have my fly phone right here. Wow, downloading it is so easy and fast. Flume works great on Android too. And look at that, Tilda. I've already set up an account. Show me how to make a call. Flume can preload your contacts automatically, so just click on your Grand Beavers and your contacts and you're good to go. Oh, my beautiful Grand Beavers. <laughs> my beauties. Thanks, Tilda. You're welcome, Scarlet. Another day brightened thanks to Brand Clubby. Good evening. I'm Mike Luno. And I'm Meredith Jurgens. And this is Zoe Zoe. Throughout history, humankind have wondered who would win in a fight, a lion or a tiger. Today, on Zooey Zooey, we examine who wins in love between a lion and a tiger in our segment, Ligers. Like, er, what's up with that? The Liger is a hybrid offspring of a male lion, Panthera Leo, and a female tiger, Panthera Tigris, and is not to be confused with a Tigon, which is the hybrid offspring of a male tiger, Panthera tigris, and a female lion, Panthera leo. The known history of lion-tiger hybrids dates to the early 19th century in India. Unlike tigons, ligers typically grow larger than either parent species. Males are 10 to 12 feet long. The largest non-obese liger is Hercules, weighing 922 pounds. Nook, a male liger at the Valley of the King's Animal Sanctuary in Wisconsin, weighed over 1,200 pounds. The life expectancy of the ligers is relatively short. Nook lived to be 21 years old and passed in 2007. Ligers and tigons were long thought to be sterile. However, in 1943, a 15-year-old hybrid between a lion and an island tiger was successfully mated with a lion at the Munich Hellebrunn Zoo. In 2012, the birth of a Liliger, which is the offspring of a liger mother and a lion father, was born at the Russian Novosibirsk Zoo. The club was named Kiara. We interrupt this regularly scheduled edition of Zooey Zooey with this late breaking news. Nadia, a Malayan tiger at the Bronx Zoo in New York, has just tested positive for the coronavirus. This is the first instance of a tiger being infected with COVID-19, says the Federal Agriculture Department, which noted that although only one tiger was tested, the virus appears to have infected other animals as well. Several lions and tigers at the zoo showed symptoms of respiratory illness, according to a statement 
Haven by the department. They are expected to recover. This is believed to be the first human-to-cat transmission. Though they have experienced some decrease in appetite, the cats at the Bronx Zoo are otherwise doing well under veterinary care and are bright, alert, and interactive with their keepers, the zoo said. There is no evidence that other animals in other areas of the zoo are showing symptoms. The animals were infected by a zoo employee who was asymptomatically infected with the virus while caring for them, according to the zoo. We will share more details as they become available. Now back to our regularly scheduled Zooey Zooey segment. Ligers. Like. Er. What's up with that? Mating between lions and tigers is not officially practiced in accredited zoos, though some mixing of the species has known to happen in captivity. Ligers do not naturally occur in the wild, as lions and tigers live in different geographic locations. Liger fur typically has a pale tiger-like pattern on a tawny lion-esque background with white underparts. The pattern will depend on the parent subspecies and how the genes interact with the offspring. I'm Mike Luno. And I'm Meredith Jurgens. And that was... Zoe Zoe. Texana who? Texana me. Kingdom. And Amelia. This is not a shocker. Philo. Cordata. Spine rhymes with brine. Class. Mammalia. Astute. Hirsute. Order. Carnivora. Protein loaders. Family. Felidae. Cats meow me wow. Genus. Panthera. Roar. Species. Tigris. The biggest cat in the world and the biggest cat of our moment. Tiger. Oh, they are the cats of the moment. We're going to open up the barn doors here on Animal Fan Club and tell you that we did pre-plan this episode of lions and tigers. Yeah. And when we were dividing them, we decided that I should get the tiger because I have a tiger skin drum throne that I purchased (laughs) in the fall of 2018. That's currently my computer chair because it's so comfortable. Uh-huh. And I'm also currently wearing my Tiger's Eye necklace. Just a quick little shout out to Practical Magic, the film. I do have my Tiger's Eye. Don't worry. <laughs> but you're also wearing a gorilla shirt. I love this gorilla shirt. It's really fun. It's very fun. Yeah. I got this in State College, Texas at a TJ Maxx. The secret <gasps> to finding cool clothes is to go to a TJ Maxx in a place that's generally politically conservative or like slightly repressed uh-huh. and go to the boys, like young adult boy section. <laughs> and you can find really cool <laughs> t-shirts that are way too short. So also my belly pokes out of it all the time. <laughs> And it's kind of fitting, though, because it's like a big gorilla and he's like pounding his chest. And so like if my belly pokes out a little bit, too, it's like I'm a gorilla. Rawr. Shopping tips with Mike. That's definitely what I'm giving you right now. I do love a TJ Maxx. The carnivora I want to talk about, the family carnivora. Yeah, I don't think we've ever really gone on a carnivora deep dive before. So carnivora is an order mm-hmm. and it includes canids, so like dogs, felidae, mm-hmm. the cats, Feliforms, which are cat-like creatures, which actually include hyenas. Oh. There are the mustelids, which you remember from your skunks. Uh-huh. We have pinnipedia, our fin-footed friends. We have mongoose. We have civets. We just have a variety of those kinds of creatures. Yeah. When I was doing this, I was able to sit down and do the taxonomy cheer all the way to family before having to look up. I know. The genus, which was so cool because, like, we've learned this, you know. I know. We've actually learned 
<laughs> We've actually learned it. And like, that's amazing. Cause like the kingdom is easy. Animalia, phylum's cordata. They have a spine. Sure. Class mammalia, obvious mm-hmm. order. I knew it was carnivora. And then I knew yeah. the family was felidae. Mm-hmm. Whereas like artiodactyla and the parasodactyla are the order. So it divides out there. But I, I just, okay. I'm just so pleased with like, we're achieving our goal of actually learning something. You know? I know. Look at you. Oh, that's yeah. so fun. I will say that there was, um, Anthony and I like play each other in jeopardy all the time and there was one we watched last week <laughs> trounced and like really came out strong at the end because there was a whole mammals category and i was just like boom 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 i was like i'm sorry you can't give me a mammals category not expect me to slay it Skinka slay it <laughs> Skinka slay baby <laughs> so we got down to the genus panthera uh-huh which is a castilian's favorite heavy metal band panthera <laughs> so these are large cats. We have tigers, lions, leopards, jaguars. Mm-hmm. And what separates them is that they're the only cat species with the anatomical structure that enables them to roar. Roar. Right. Yes. So cool. It's due to morphological features, especially of the larynx. But it was mm-hmm. initially thought that it was because of the ossification of the hyoid bone. But we don't believe that anymore. <laughs> oh. I mean, yeah, yeah. The ossification process, I feel like we've talked about that before. That's like the process of like layering bone material onto something. So partially hardening, right? Like a hardening process. Right. So it's saying that the hyoid bone is not quite fully ossified. So the tiger was initially described by our friend Carl Linnaeus in Systema Natura. And it was given the scientific name Felis tigris. (laughs) This was in like the 1700s. The species was later placed in the genus Panthera in 1929 by British taxonomist Reginald Innes Pocock. Mm -hmm. So this is a good example of how narrowly this cat was identified and then how the taxonomy system changed around it and it was later reclassified. Mm -hmm. Because after Carl described the tiger, several individual specimens were described and then proposed as subspecies of the tiger. Okay. So the descriptions were frequently about variations in fur length and coloration, Mm -hmm. but that very widely in the population of individuals. So there was a question of, did this actually represent different subspecies or is this maybe a misguided thing? There was an area of focus. So the International Union for the Conservation of Nature established the Cat Classification Task Force in (laughs) 2017. Oh. Yeah, it was a subdivision of their cat specialist group. Do you think they have jackets? I actually want them to have chains, you know, (laughs) like kind of like a Lower East Side, like punk, like leather studded vest. Like, we're the Cat Classification Task Force, (laughs) you know, and they like ride off on their little dirt bikes. Yes. Oh, yeah. I love this. The Cat Classification Task Force recognized the tiger population in continental Asia as Panthera tigris tigris. Okay. So the subspecies. And the tigers in the Sunda Islands as Panthera tigris sondaica. Okay. Within each subspecies, we have different populations with common traits. Okay, got it. Here's a great sentence. (laughs) The whole genome sequencing analysis of 32 tiger specimens supported six monophyletic tiger clades with most common ancestors living 110,000 years ago. So, so, stay with me here. Got it. So within these subspecies, we have different groups 
the monophyletic means that they have common genetics Mm -hmm. generally i think there's a more nuanced definition of that that i'm not understanding and then clade as we know is a group of organisms with a common ancestor right so there's a little bit of ambiguity here because we're saying well these variations are you know just kind of stripes and fur length but this is saying that the common ancestor of all the tigers different populations living today was 110,000 years ago okay okay And they've spread out since then and developed different characteristics and different groups and kind of stayed isolated within their groups from geographical reasons. Okay, that makes, yeah, that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. So we're going to focus on the Bengal tiger, which is a population of the Panthera tigris tigris. And it occurs in the Indian subcontinent, like India, Nepal, Bhutan, Bangladesh. Okay. Can I just ask a question real quick? Sure. So this would be an even further division within the subspecies? Yes. Okay. Got it. It's not called like a sub-subspecies. Right. They're referenced as populations of the subspecies. I see. The Panthera tigris tigris is the Bengal tiger, the Caspian tiger, the Siberian tiger, Mm -hmm. the South China tiger, the Indo-Chinese tiger, and the Malayan tiger. Okay. Whereas the Panthera tigris sondaica is the Javan tiger, the Bali tiger, and the Sumatran tiger. Okay. I see. So you see the mainland Asia versus the island tigers. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. The population of the Bengal tigers is estimated to be between 2,600 and 3,300 individuals in 2018. Okay. It's believed they've been present on the Indian subcontinent since the late Pleistocene. So for them in particular, it was 12,000 to 16,500 years ago. Because mm-hmm. the Pleistocene is pretty long. It goes like 2 million years ago. Yeah. It's... Like... it's one of the biggest wild cats alive today, including their tails. Males are 9 to 10 feet long. Ladies are more or eight to nine feet. The tails are generally around three feet long. So the actual cat minus the tail, you know, I'm going to let you do the arithmetic. Yeah. They stand three to four feet tall at the shoulders. Males weigh 400 to 569 pounds. And ladies, 200 to 350 pounds, typically. For their habitat, they like a variety of habitats. They'll live in a tropical, moist, evergreen forest, Mm -hmm. a tropical, dry forest, tropical and subtropical, moist, deciduous forests, mangroves, subtropical and temperate upland forests, and alluvial grasslands. Oh, I love an alluvial grassland. Yeah. Alluvium is loose, unconsolidated soil or sediment that's been eroded and reshaped by water in some form and then redeposited in a non-marine setting. Oh, cool. Yeah. When it's deposited or cemented into a lithological unit or lithified, it's called an alluvial deposit. I know. Tell me something I didn't know. Well, maybe you don't know that there's no definite mating and birth season for the tiger. I think that's general for cats, actually. Is it? Like all around. Even domestic cats, and I think lions as well, because they are what's called induced ovulators. So cats can go into heat like any time of year and multiple times of year. Okay, this is upsetting and gross. But not to place value judgments on animals' reproductive habits, but the male unit of the male cat penis has, like, barbs, essentially, or, like, spikes that essentially on, when they're pulling out, will scrape the inside of the cat vagina, which induces ovulation. Whoa. 
I know. I left this out of mind because I was like, oh, that just makes me shudder. I forget the name of it, but it is called like induced ovulation. And this goes for, I think, you know, big cats down to little baby cats. Whoa. Yeah. I feel like ladies really get the shorthand of the stick, if you will, or the short end of the stick, the barbed end of the stick, I guess. Yeah. The barbed end of the unipene. I saw something that was like this coronavirus is hitting men harder than women they're losing one dollar for every 79 cents that a woman's losing yeah (laughs) so the most young are born in december or or april though Mm -hmm. which i thought was kind of interesting maybe there's some sort of cat holiday yeah the tiger equivalent of valentine's day and right right (laughs) new year's booms yeah So the males mature at age four to five, ladies typically age three to four. Bengals come into heat at intervals of about three to nine weeks and Mm -hmm. then is receptive for three to six days. And then after a 104 to 106 day gestation period, one to four cubs are born in a shelter that's situated in tall grass, thick brush, or in a cave. Oh, a cave birth. Sounds fun. Yeah, it does sound fun, doesn't it? it? Sounds so exotic. The newborns are tiny. They're just like two to three and a half I pounds. Know. Yeah. And their eyes and ears are closed. Like domestic kittens. Just like domestic kittens, mm-hmm. yeah. Their milk teeth start to erupt at two to three weeks after birth. And then they're replaced slowly by permanent dentition from about nine weeks onward. Mm. Then they suckle for three to six months. And they start following their mom on hunting trips and help hunting at five to six months. Oh, oh. I know. Getting in there with mom. So sweet. I know. Just helping to hunt, being like... Yeah. I'm sure they're a big help. I got a video of my niece helping my sister to make a pepperoni pizza, and I feel like she was probably more help with that than the little baby tiger is on a hunting expedition. (laughs) But she's a little older than five to six months. Mm -hmm. They start to separate from their family group at like age two to three, Mm -hmm. and they will become transient then. Mm -hmm. And the males will travel further than the females. They're ramblers. So the Bengal has been captive bred since 1880, and it's been crossed with other tiger subspecies. Mm-hmm. The 1997 International Tiger Stud Book lists the global captive population of Bengal tigers at 210 individuals. And they're all kept at Indian zoos, except there's one female in North America. Oh, wow. Okay. According to the 1997 International Tiger Stud Book. Got it. So who knows how comprehensive that is? Yeah. I mean, I would figure probably at this point not. I mean, I can't speak for like India's record keeping of these creatures, but I think so much of this illegal trafficking and activity has to do with misreporting numbers with these, you know, roadside zoos and things. Completely. And as we are acutely learning from our current situation, that sometimes the numbers that are officially reported do not reflect the official reality of the world the actual reality of the world and that it's about in our situation it's about testing and reporting those test results right exactly meredith you were talking about mesopotamia earlier weren't you i sure was the term tiger sounds a lot like the river tigris doesn't it it sure does the tigris and euphrates the fertile crescent yeah the, the etymology is that it's a Middle English term derived from an old French term, mm-hmm. which is derived from a Latin term. <laughs> that was a borrowing of the classic Greek tigris, which is a foreign borrowing of an unknown origin. That means tiger as well as the river. Interesting. It might have come from a Persian word tigra, meaning pointed or sharp. 
and then the Avestan world tigri, which means arrow, which perhaps refers to the speed of the tiger's leap, although these words are not known to have any meanings associated with tiger. Isn't that fun? It is fun. Tiger is such a pretty word. And then, the, you know, there's that, the, that highly loved, beloved, and successful, boy, are they successful football team known as the Bengals. That's right. The Cincinnati Bengals. When I kind of gave away my whole charismatic megafauna talk earlier in your segment. I'm sorry. Because that's what I encountered. And, you know, the tiger's a very popular creature. Mm -hmm. It's uh, mythology, folklore. It's depicted in modern films and literature, flags. Yeah. Mascots, coats of arms. It's the national animal of India, Bangladesh, Malaysia, and South Korea. Interesting South Korea. Yeah, well, that's the Indochine, I believe, tiger. Oh, that makes sense. Because there was one tiger. um, It was in the Tigris Tigris subspecies. Obviously, because mm-hmm. it's a continental Asian right. creature. That's the Siberian tiger, which is in Northeast Asia and Eastern Siberia to Northeast China, possibly North Korea. Okay. But yeah, I don't know. This tiger is really interesting. It's a beautiful creature. There's tons of information on it. Mm-hmm. You know, our primary resource is Wikipedia. I mean, we're pretty upfront about that. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that in reading different articles about tigers that they were clearly cobbled together and clearly had different tones and voice Mm. in the writing between different articles of the different species. So there's clearly a lot of tiger fanatics, you know, (laughs) contributing to this. Yeah. Maybe we could get the cat classification task force to kind of log on and maybe edit some of the information. Yes, we need you. Um, Do you have any tiger questions or any tiger emotions? I mean, always tiger emotions. Always. I mean, there's there's Raja, the tiger from Aladdin. There's Tony, the tiger. Tigger. There's Tigger. There's, um, was there, no, that was a jaguar in the Jungle Book. Still Panthera. Actually, I kind of encountered something interesting with that because there's the leopard, which is in Africa and Asia. Mm-hmm. And then the jaguar is in Central and South America. So I'm thinking of early colonists who believed that they had arrived in India and perhaps spottings of a jaguar or jaguar skins oh my gosh, would yeah, totally. have led them to believe that there was the leopard. I thought that that was an interesting line of inquiry to open. Totally. Yeah, I've never thought about that. We also have Hobbes. Oh, yeah, from Calvin and As a famous tiger. <laughs> that is another famous tiger. And then Daniel Tiger, the very adorable, lovely children's show on PBS, spinoff of um, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. There's Shere Khan. Yeah. There's, oh, that's Cheetah, Chester Cheetah. Yeah, Chester's a cheetah. There's Tiger Balm. Yeah, that's another famous tiger. The Tiger Balm Tiger. Yeah, there's just a lot of tigers. Lots of high school football teams. Tons of those. Well, cool. That's kind of like the extent of my tiger info. I love it. Go Tigers. Rawr. (laughs) All right, let's do another break. Love it. Are you tired of blending in with all of the other lions, fading in with all of that grass? Do you and your pride want to stand out amidst all those muted tawny browns and muted sandy tans? Well, look no further than Brand Clubby's new Pride Pride, spirit wear for lions. Gone are the days when your pride looked no different than those basic bitches on the other end of the watering hole. So get ready to strut your stuff with these perfect pieces that will be sure to make all of the members of your pride proud and prominent on the African prairie. 
Is your pride full of sassy Simbas and naughty Nalas? Then maybe you'd like Larry Lyons' LeMay for Days, a loud and luxurious collection for flamboyant felids. Or maybe you'd like something more classy, but understated. Then you should try Vivian's Velour Vetements, a subdued yet sultry collection for the most mature and majestic of cats. Claim your catwalk. Order your own brand clubby Pride Pride spirit wear for lions today. Mm. Meredith, what's that smell? I think it's oats. We're back in the feedback, aren't we? We sure are. All right. So why don't we just kick it off? We've got actually our favorite a mate pair feet upon from Julie and Augusta. So this is the animated big cats edition of mate pair feet upon. So here are, here are our options. So we've got Tony the tiger, we've got Tigger, and we've got Mufasa. Wow. I think what I will go for here is I'm thinking Tigger would be great in the sack because he's just got boundless energy. Lots of energy. Lots of energy. And I'll leave that there. And then I think Mufasa would be great to pair with because he's so wise and he's so even keeled. And he seems to be very like well-grounded and, you know, just like a great leader. Someone you would want to spend time with because you feel like you could really learn and grow with him. Totally. You know, which would leave Tony the tiger to eat. Uh, I'm not super into the idea of tiger meat, but I I mean, maybe it would come like, you know, with a side of Frosted Flakes, which sounds delicious because I love Frosted Flakes. Yeah, I agree with you generally. I would say that I don't think I really want to engage with Tigger because Tigger's very self-absorbed. He frequently says the wonderful things about Tiggers is that he's the only one, right? Oh, That's like yeah. something that he says. I don't, I think he would be kind of a greedy lover, frankly. Interesting. Interesting. I could see that. I see where you're coming from. Yeah. And I feel like Tony's kind of like sporty, you know, and he seems to be in good shape despite, you know, selling sugar crusted <laughs> flakes of corn. And he, he seems like athletic, but not in... Like, I don't know. Tigger's just, it's like he just did a line of coke. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's kind of Tigger's energy. And I don't know if that's really right for me. Okay. Okay. You know, so I think that I agree that Mufasa would make a great pair. I also actually think Tony the Tiger would make a great pair as well. Hmm. But if I had to choose, I would say that I would mate with Tony the Tiger. I would pair with Mufasa and I would feed upon Tigger. Okay. So we're it's it's a house divided. It's a house divided. A nest divided. Yeah, but we're both feeling romantic inclinations for Mufasa, which I think is noteworthy. For sure. For sure. I guess I just differ a little bit because like I think what you're interpreting is like sporty. With Tony the Tiger, I get more of like a Chad vibe. Yeah. He gives off some Chad energy to me, and I think that's a little off-putting where it seems like you might be getting some like fratty Chad energy from if I could say that. You oh, you mean fratty chat energy from Tony. No, I'm saying you might be feeling that from Tigger. Oh. Whereas I'm not. I'm just viewing it as just like pure kinetic energy. <laughs> sure. That's interesting. So we both have different feelings. We're both feeling weary of the chads, but yes. we feel that these different cartoon tigers have different chad energy. Yes, exactly. Okay, so my fish position 
is mate with Tony the Tiger, pair with Mufasa, and feed upon Tigger. And I am feed upon Tony the Tiger, um, mate with Tigger, and pair with Mufasa. Ding, 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 ding. Alexis from Saskatchewan asks, are filiform dance parties more fun than canid dance parties? Ooh, well... The dance musical sensation isn't called Dogs. Whoa, the gauntlet has been thrown down. I mean, say no more. I think that in general, felids and filiforms are probably freer in their source of movement. I feel like they have this sort of release that is very essential for performers to discover and cultivate, where they don't really seem to care what's going on. Mm -hmm. Whereas I feel like canids would be more likely to perform and then look and gauge the reaction. They'd be performing for the response instead of performing for the sake of performing. You know what I'm saying? Right. So I think that dog dance parties are probably fun. I feel like yeah, they're... Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, they're probably really great. But I think that it's loud chaos, whereas I feel mm-hmm. like a filiform dance party would still be chaotic. Right. <laughs> but from the audience perspective, you could identify individuals within the group and be like, wow, that creature's really doing some interesting ogs. Right. I should maybe go talk to them. Whereas I feel like at a dog party, it would just be a bunch of like you know, canids coming up to you and being like dancing in front of you and then looking at you for affection. I just feel right. like that would maybe be a little bit of pressure. So I think that both are probably really fun in their own way. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that both are maybe more fun than the other at different periods of time. But I think that if you looked, if you really zoomed out and considered over time, I would say that the Feliform dance parties are probably more fun than the canid dance problem parties. Right. Or I would say that the probably the filiform dance parties would like look better it'd be more aesthetically pleasing sure cats of all stripes are so you know nimble and agile and sleek and pretty and pretty much all of their movements even just like lifting a paw looks like a pointed toe yeah whereas like dogs i think you know god bless them are a little bit more like clumsy and just kind of throw themselves into things without that kind of like measured control so like yeah definitely more fun and goofy just kind of depends on the kind of party experience you want to have you know sure you want to wag your tail and flop your tongue around and lick some people hang out with the canids you want to get some glorious lines and some really like clean pirouettes go hang out with the filiforms wow so i guess the official position is that it depends yeah Ding ding ding, 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 ding. All right. So we've got another question from Randy in Pensacola. He says, what would you call the offspring of a chinchilla and a hedgehog? A chinhog, maybe? Say it's a, a male hedgehog mating with a female chinchilla. A hedgehilla? So if it's a male hedgehog Ew. and a female chinchilla, it's a hedgechilla. Hedgehilla. So if it's a male chinchilla... And a female hedgehog, then it's a chin hog. A chin hog. If we're applying the liger tigon yes. approach. Right. But I don't know. I just think that we're forcing this gender binarism we on sure to are. these hedgehogs and chinchillas. And I think that that's probably pretty unfair. Right. What, a, what about a hedge, a chin hedge? Or a chilla hog? Chilla hog. Chilla hog? Chilla hog wins. <laughs> I feel like chilla hog's pretty good. 
But I, yeah, I, I, I guess, I don't know. I think that I would call it, I think Chillahog is definitely it for me. Yeah. But then I also don't know, does, what's its fur like? Because <laughs> it, it, does it have spikes or is it fluffy? Is it, is this like a fluffy hair growing up in between the spikes? I like that. I like the idea of it's like luxurious, soft fur, but you know, don't get too comfortable. Don't get too cozy. Because deep in there, there are spikes too. Oh, so you see it as being the fluffy hair on the outside and the spikes. Kind underneath. of like maybe the hair is a little longer than the spikes, so they hide what lies beneath. See, I was imagining the spikes being longer than the hair, but I guess this is the difference between <laughs> a chillahog and a chin hedge. Exactly. <sighs> so, I mean, a fish position just depends again. Yeah, we're being very non-committal with our fish positions today. We're a house divided. We're a it depends. We're another it depends. Yeah. But uh, I, we here's an A, B, C, and D for you. We have chin hogs, hedge chillas, chilla hogs, and chin hedges. So it could be any of the four of those, I guess, depending on how you're feeling or the length of your hair relative to the length of your keratin spiky bits. Right. I know. It's a doozy. It's a doozy. Thank you, Randy. That's a good one. Um, Ding, 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 ding. ding. I do have to say that we've kind of very in the spirit of Joe Exotic being (laughs) non-committal to an individual spouse. We're being very non-committal with our answers here. So I guess in that way, the spirit has infiltrated this podcast. Whether we like it or not. Yeah. I don't know that I do like it. I don't either. He can stay in prison. I was just so taken by his level of narcissism. You know, it was really just very apparent. They all. It seemed like all of these big cat people really, um, they're very high on their own supply. Good way to put it, Meredith. Thank you. Well, I guess keep the questions coming, animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. We love hearing from you, the listener. We do. We do love hearing from you. Meredith, do we have any, like, final affirmations or spirits or anything else we want to say to these people? Well, I just think, um, keep in mind those animals that bring you joy and various um, traits you would like to draw upon in these trying times. I'm going to pull on some lion energy today and going forward. Yeah, I always feel tiger energy with my tiger drum stool, so I'll be feeling that as I'm editing this episode. Yeah. And, um, you know, just just love each other, man. Right on. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Animal Fan Club is created and produced by us, Meredith Jurgens and Mike Luno. We also create all our original music and sonic experiences. Send us your listener feedback questions to animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at animalfanclubpod, at Meredith Jurgens and at Mike underscore Luno. And don't forget to rate and review our podcast on your favorite app. That really helps us out. Thanks for listening to our show. We hope it makes your heart and spirit glow. We'll be here next week for another meeting of the Animal Fan Club.